Let us take a little while longer and consider further in the dominion of our God over the world. If there is one place where He showed dominion, it was in the sending and arrangement and death of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sins of His people. Because there His sovereignty was shown in the true making of some vessels of honor and other vessels of dishonor. And there are many things that we can consider about the death of Jesus Christ that pertain to His sovereignty. But let's consider some others on our way there. He is so sovereign that in the days of Noah, He drowned and suffocated the entire planet for their sins. He hadn't asked any of them before they were born if they wanted to live and drown in a flood. He just sent the flood. And that flood covered and suffocated all babies, all ages, all sexes. It drowned murderers along with philanthropists. No discrimination, just total sovereignty. The handicapped and the retired drowned together. And any other segment of society that you favor, God drowned in the flood. It is more than a Bible story. It is one of His wonders that He did in the world before which we should tremble. He will not drown the earth again with the flood, but He will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Job chapter 23, and let's look at one of many references that speak to His choices in your life. If you read Malachi chapter 1 last evening, you read that God loves Jacob and hated Esau. And that if Israel, who descended from Jacob, would simply go to the boundary of their nation, they could see at that boundary that God had favored Israel and had despised Edom. He said Edom is impoverished right now, but they think that they're going to rebuild their nation. They may rebuild, but I will tear down and destroy. We saw that in Malachi chapter 1. And the conclusion of those first five verses were, Let the Lord be magnified from the border of Israel. Because there is going to be a very clear demarcation made between Israel and Edom. Reflecting God's choice of one of those twins and His rejection of the other. I hope you saw that. I hope you glorified God for it. We are blessed as a nation. We could take it that way. We are blessed as a church. There are lines of demarcation drawn everywhere where the Lord makes differences among men. And we are blessed. And we should be most thankful for His blessings toward us. In Job chapter 23, here is what we read about the Most High. Job 23, 13. But He is in one mind, and who can turn Him? And what His soul desireth, even that He doeth. For He performeth the thing that is appointed for me, And many such things are with him. Now the thing that was appointed for him was his horrible enduring of affliction and persecution by the devil. 
He was appointing that thing for Job, and Job was suffering under it. Yet Job admits that he has a whole lot more that he does in men's lives than just that large event. Many such things are with him. And these were things of trouble. You know, it's one thing to thank the Lord for the blessings in our lives, but these were all the troubles in Job's life, and Job still gave God the credit, the glory, and the responsibility for it. He says he has one mind. Now, I've heard that verse used to say that God doesn't have two wills. We'll deal with that when we come to God's two wills. God definitely has two wills, and He's of one mind about both of them. One is revealed for what you do, and one is His secret of what He's going to do, and He's of one mind about both of them. But more on that when we come to that point. There are men who want to try to use the Bible to limit the sovereignty of God. You can't limit the sovereignty of God with the Bible. Except to say this, God is not the author of sin. Because the Bible says God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. We sin from what is in our own hearts, not from what God does. We're always responsible. He is in one mind, and who can turn him? When God has purpose to do something, who's going to turn him? In the other places we read, none can stay his hand. No one can put their hand up and stop the hand of God when it reaches forth to do something. Who can turn him when his one mind is made up to do something? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. And that's what we believe about our God. We do not believe he is disappointed in the affairs of this world, of this universe. He's not disappointed in how many names are in the book of life and how many are not. It was all his choice. What his soul desireth, that he doeth. That's the God we worship. It's that. This is a simple passage of Scripture. For He performeth the thing that is appointed for me. He allows Satan to come into my life. And whenever I use the word allow, I hope you all understand. That means He decreed it. He purposed it. He planned it. He commanded it. And He executed it. I do not play games with the word allow and permit. God does more than that with all the events of the world, including sinful events. He directs and he disposes, or men could not do what they could not do what they do, nor would they do it in the detail and way that he wants it done. The details of the crucifixion, the most evil event in the history of the world, were all taken care of by his sovereign government of those events. He performeth the thing that is appointed for me. If you go back to Job chapter two, God takes credit for the trouble in Job's life. God said to Satan, you have moved me against Job to destroy him. Now, I thought it was Satan doing it. Satan's just a pawn in the hands of God. God said, you've moved me against Job. He performeth the thing that is appointed for me. And many such things are with him. Job knew that. Job understood the sovereignty of God. He just had a human heart that was subject to frailty like ours. So we find him getting a little self-righteous throughout this epistle until Elihu reminds him again of the sovereignty of God. Listen to the two of them when they're agreed. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is sovereign. He could give me what he gave me and he gave me much and he could take it all away and he's still God and he deserves my worship. And then Elihu says in chapter 33, verse 12, and I say it often because I always want you to know the solution for the book of Job, God is greater than man. 
That is Job in his right mind when Elihu speaks in chapter 33. God is greater than man. Job, he can do whatever he wants to you. He doesn't have to answer for it. Job knew that in the beginning. Job knew it right here, that God is sovereign. Yet at times, Job thought it was a little unfair because he'd been a righteous man. But you know what Elihu says about that? If you're righteous, are you righteous for God? If you're righteous, do you add anything to the Most High? Not at all. You don't add anything to Him, and by your wickedness, you don't take anything away from Him. Because He is God. Look at Psalm 147. Psalm 147. Dominion and fear are before Him. God is sovereign. He can withhold the Word of God or the light of reason from an individual man or from nations. Can you think of a man that He withheld the light of reason from so that He lost all rationality? Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king on earth. He gave him the heart of a beast till seven times passed over him. Seven years. Notice what he can do in his disposing of his own word. The last two verses of Psalm 147. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgments... They have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Can you praise the Lord for that matter? That in the Old Testament, the Word of God was shown to only one nation. The nation that came out of the loins of Jacob. His statutes and His judgments were only known by Israel. No other nation knew them. Because He restrained them, restricted them, and gave them to only one nation. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. God is sovereign. The Arminian says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. What do they do with all the people of the Old Testament who never had the Word of God? Because God kept it from them. The New Testament is of a different color. When God sent forth His apostles, He sent them into all the world to preach the Gospel to every creature. And that every creature means all sorts of men of all different nations. And the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against the Word of God, and it went into the whole world. But here in the Old Testament, He hath not dealt so with any nation. God chose Israel, and He showed them favor, and He discriminated by favoring them and not favoring others, and restricting them even from the Word of God. You know, He told Israel, And these are some of my favorite verses about the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 4 as an example. All the nations of the earth are going to rejoice and look and watch and wonder about the commandments and precepts that you have because you are going to have rules and judgments for your nation that they have never seen or heard before. They are going to rejoice that there is a God so close to a nation and has given them such wise statutes. But you don't have them. They were given to Israel. And you know, this is not the time for a study of some of those precepts. But some of those precepts that were given in the law of Moses 3,500 years ago are things that we're just discovering now. On what day was a 
baby boy in Israel to be circumcised. The eighth day. On what day is a baby boy's blood the most resistant to bleeding? The eighth day. To clean your hands in Israel, what did you have to do? Wash them under what kind of water? Running water. Until 1900, almost every other baby born in New York City in a hospital would die because they would stick their hands in pails of water after working on a cadaver and go to a birth. And they were wondering why every other baby was dying until a Jewish doctor said, it's got to be under running water. And then all of a sudden, the death rate and mortality rate for childbirth in New York went, these little examples go on and on and on. The care of waste. Did God believe in a septic tank? You You as a man were expected to carry about a paddle, which was a shovel. And that which cometh out from behind thee, you were to dig a hole and bury it. This is in the Word of, this is in the Bible. You were to dig a hole and bury it. Because God did not want to walk through the camp and find anything abominable in Israel. What were we doing in England a hundred years ago? Throw it out the window. Throw it out the window. You know, now we get to push the silver lever. And it goes underground just as God had originally intended it. We could go on and on. He has shown His Word to Jacob and His statutes and His judgments to Israel. He hath not dealt so with any other nation. Praise the Lord for His discrimination. But you know what you're holding in your hands right now? A Bible in your language. If it was in the language of the Hebrews, you wouldn't know what to do with it. You have a Bible in your language that God has preserved. And it teaches us wonderful things. Not only a few medical and scientific things like that, but many, many more. Most on how to live and please God. Many on how to live and get along with others. The Bible is full of wisdom. Turn to Job chapter 12. Job chapter 12. God is sovereign. He controls those who deceive other men. He uses false teachers. And He controls those who are deceived by false teachers. Job chapter 12 and verse 16. Job 12, 16, with Him is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are His. The deceived and the deceiver are His. If a man gets deceived, both the deceiver and the deceived have been purposed to deceive and be deceived By God. Job 12. We can come over to Ezekiel 14, which I mentioned last Sunday, but let's look at it. Ezekiel chapter 14. And see that if a man comes to a prophet of God with an idol set up in his heart, a stumbling block of iniquity, he's already made his mind up what he's going to believe and what he's going to do in some part of his life. When that man comes to a prophet of God, that the prophet's going to be deceived. And he's going to give that man a lie so that the Lord can destroy both of them for playing around with his revelation. There's only one way to do things. 
And it's the Lord's way. We could read this whole section from verses 1 through 11, but I'll not read that much. Look at verse 3. Well, let's get verse 1. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? If you've already made up your mind on how you're going to live or what you're going to believe and you come to the Word of God, the Word of God is going to deceive you and destroy you because God is not going to play games. Remember the prophet that said, I mean, remember the king that said about the prophet of God, he never says anything good about me? When that prophet came in that day, did he say something good about King Ahab? Indeed he did. And then King Ahab said, can't you tell me the truth? And so then God gave him a lie. Because he had just told him the truth. You know that. That's 1 Kings 22. It's in the Bible twice. It's over in 2 Chronicles as well. Let's come over to verse 9. About these, these prophets that are turned to by men who already have stumbling blocks of iniquity and idols in their heart. Ezekiel 14.9 And if the prophet be deceived when he hath spoken a thing... I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand upon him, and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him, that the house of Israel may go no more astray from me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, saith the Lord God. Now that is God's sovereignty. If you, in the secret recesses of your heart, have already made up your mind against the Lord and His Word, go ahead. Read it. He'll crush you with it. Look at the denominations in this country and this world. Look at how many of them claim to be Bible denominations. Look at how many claim to be Christian denominations. How can they use the same book and come up with some of their crazy notions? Because they've already gone to the book with an idol and a stumbling block set up in their heart and God uses His word of prophecy to destroy them. Just like He used His prophets of old. The word of God, Peter said of Paul's writings, are very hard to be understood. That they which are unlearned do rest to their own destruction. God is sovereign. Do you know what that means when we come to His word? When He says, I am a great king... That means when he writes something, we better believe it and we better obey it. If we don't believe it or obey it, he can blind us and destroy us with the very thing we think is our safety. You can't go to bed at night and put the Bible on your chest and have it protect you. You can't memorize verses and think they're going to protect you. We've got to believe them and obey them. And if we set up a stumbling block of iniquity, some sin, some favored sin that we love, God, in his sovereign might, will judge us. He can blind us so easily. You know what is terrible about blinding? You don't know it. Do you know what's terrible about being deceived? Do you know what the word deceived means? You think a lie is the truth, and you think the truth is a lie. That's terrible, and you don't know the difference. You're lost. It's over. It's curtains for you. You can go on so confident in yourself so enthusiastic 
and you're lost in a lie. Because the deceived and the deceiver are His. He rules them both. Lord, save us and have mercy upon us. Look at Psalm 75. I can think of a few of you that have been promoted recently. If you've ever been promoted, I'll tell you where your promotion came from. Psalm 75, verse 4. I said unto the fools, Deal not foolishly, and to the wicked, lift not up the horn. Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and setteth up another. Promotion comes from the Lord. Everything comes from the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 21 and about 31, or 21-31, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Promotion doesn't come from the east, the west, or the south. It comes out of the north, where God dwells. It cometh from the Lord. He's the one that judges. He puts down one man, and He puts another man up. That's why we have 1 Corinthians 4-7, which some of you have told me you appreciate its words, Who maketh thee to differ from another? Who maketh thee to differ from another? If you are different from someone else, and in your opinion, your differences are that you are superior, should you mock those that are inferior to you? God made the differences. It's not you. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Him. And why do you glory as if you didn't receive it because you actually were given it by God? Promotion comes from the Lord. You know, we can look at so many examples of God dealing with kings, and He loved to deal with kings, and He dealt with them severely, because to deal with a king and to put them down, it made Him king of kings. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, you read it last evening, hopefully. I only want to look at a little part of it for a moment. God's dominion includes all events. That doesn't make us a fatalist at all. Because God has already revealed to us how we're to use the means that He's given us in every part of our life. If you don't sow, you're not going to eat. And yet, give us this day our daily bread. Those are both true. God has to give daily bread, but He expects us to sow. You have to go look for a job and you have to work hard on a job in order to have a promotion, but still the promotion comes from the Lord. You could easily have been overlooked and not received a promotion. We believe in the full responsibility of man. I love in 2 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 12, Joab took the armies of Israel, divided them up, explained their strategy, and said, let us play the men for our city and for our God. And let the Lord do as it seemeth Him good. That is what the Bible teaches from beginning to end. We take our armies, we take our means, the things God's given us, and we use them as wisely as we can. But in the final analysis, if we're going to have a victory in battle or in any other event in life, the Lord has to grant it. Let the Lord do as it seemeth Him good. 
And you know what? That makes the most courageous men in the history of the world. It is not courage to go blow yourself up with a belly bomb. It is not courage to suck yourself full of sake and go dive your kamikaze plane into a ship. It takes courage to do it this way, trusting the Lord, while you use reasonable effort. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. But notice in that, in that statement, are there builders? They. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. But we do labor. But if the Lord doesn't bless the efforts, those means will not work. If the Lord blesses the efforts, the means will work. So it's a combination. And we can't see where our, where we can't see exactly where God steps in and how He may make it happen. We just know we should go out and seek to build, and we should go out and have a watchman to keep our city. But except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And do you know what the Lord tells us? Our Father in heaven? You know the next verse. I've taught it so many times. But taking the sovereignty of God and making it a real thing to live by includes this verse. It is vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so He giveth His beloved sleep. That's the sovereign God as our Daddy. He says, don't worry, son. Don't worry. Just go make a reasonable effort to build your house. I'll take care of the rest. Make a reasonable effort to set a watchman for your city. I'll take care of the rest. It's vain for you to rise up early or to stay up late or to eat the bread of sorrows. I want you to have a good night of sleep. I will take care of the rest. If we overstep that boundary, we lose His benefit because He'll step back and see how far we get by ourselves. And you will not get far by yourself. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Oh, what a sweet passage. Is Ephesians 1 sweet from beginning? The whole Bible is, but do you love Ephesians 1? Verse 11. In whom, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. This Him, this God, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, works all things after the counsel of His own will. Shall there be evil in a city? And the Lord commanded it not? Not a chance. Some will say about this verse, who worketh all things after the counsel of His will are only those things that are involved in salvation. And they look at the dependent clause of verse 12 that says that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ and apply that to modify His will. But that clause in verse 12 is not modifying His will. It's modifying His predestination to give us an inheritance to the praise of His glory. Because if you back up in this chapter, you'll see the same construction in verse 5 when it's talking about His predestination to the praise of His glory and the praise of the glory of His grace. There is no limitation in the Bible. God works all things after the counsel of His own will. What have we not considered? We've considered the womb. We've considered the lot cast into the lap. We've considered angels. We've considered inanimate matter. We've considered the sun, moon, the stars. He works all things after the counsel of His own will. It's just describing it's a sovereign God 
who made the predestinating choice to give us an eternal inheritance. He purposed before the world began that some would be given an eternal inheritance and others would not. And it's just describing him in that, in those words, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That's the God that we're dealing with who is able to work the largest things. You know, those, those people that want to say he works the largest things, why do they want to relieve him of working the smaller things? Do they think he might get confused or overloaded? The circuits might get overloaded with the small things? There's nothing in the Bible that says God takes his hands off of this. Nothing. And I'm thankful for that. There's a great deal of security and peace and comfort in the fact that God's hands are upon everything, including a sparrow. What else can he say to you? The very hairs of your head are numbered. You can't lose a one of them without God being in total disposition of it. There's nothing that I'm saying relieves the responsibility of man, but it sure does lift God up and give us a foundation for our lives. And you can look at everything in your life. When there's some slow motorist in front of you, and you're thinking about passing them on the shoulder of the road, God put that driver there. How do you know that just ahead there isn't about to be an accident and you're going to be involved in it except you're being slowed down by the Lord causing some poor woman with a room temperature IQ who is trying to drive and talk on her cell phone at the same time. Now, I said all that because that just helps you think about the shoulder of the road. That's the only reason I said that. I wasn't trying to put down women. There's some very intelligent women. But you know, when you see one of them that's talking and she's slowed down in a 60 mile an hour speed zone to 40, you know there's a problem there. There's a short circuit in her mind, but there isn't in the Lord's. We never know why He's slowing us down. Sometimes it's just to teach us that P word. Called patience. But you know what? He's in charge of it all. He is in charge of it all. Sometimes we know that we have been delayed. We have been delayed and it has been to our salvation and our profit. And we thank the Lord for it. He does all these things. Scripture is only modified by Scripture. And where in Scripture does it say, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will is to be modified. That is just describing a God that could make all the decisions that are made between verses 3 and 12. That He would choose us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That He would predestinate us to be adopted by Jesus Christ as His children. That He would make us accepted in the Beloved. Those are enormous choices for our lives. And so it says, who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. This God disposes of His creatures because He's the potter. There's no reason in Scripture or anywhere to limit that. Who are you to limit it? We've already read Job 23.14 and many such things are with Him. That doesn't sound like a limit. Many such things are with Him. And we've already been over over the last couple of weeks the verses that point out, shall we not receive evil and good at the hands of the Lord? Evil's in the hands of the Lord just as much as good is. That doesn't make him the author of sin. The way evil occurs is when he withdraws himself and lets us have our own way. Evil evil is initiated immediately because of our wicked hearts. Man doesn't do anything against the will of God. 
and yet he's held completely responsible. God restrains man's wrath to praise him, and God uses the wrath of man to praise him, and surely it is done that way, and the remainder of wrath God will restrain. One more verse. Look at Luke 22 and see his sovereignty in an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 22. It is a rule, it is a rule of Scripture that we're to approach life. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Just just open, this or that. Anything you want to do, anything you want to try to do, if the Lord will. Because if the Lord doesn't will, it doesn't matter how small it is, you're not doing it. And unless the Lord has willed it, you're not going to do it. You say, well, it's... It's so hard for me to figure out where the Lord's will ends and my will ends, or where the Lord's will starts and mine ends. Where did, God, where did the Lord even tell you to try to figure it out? He, he tells you not even to ask questions about it. How are you going to instruct Him? How are you even going to learn from Him? He's given us His revealed will, and He tells us if the Lord will is how we're supposed to speak. We shall live and we shall do this or that. And we just submit it to His will. He's infinitely able to take care of leaving you responsible for your actions and yet Him executing His purpose in all things after the counsel of His own will. It's very easy for Him. He can take care of a billion contingencies that result from you making one choice. No problem. We have overload in everything we make, even our supercomputers. He doesn't overload ever. He's not even exerting Himself. And he was able to accumulatively do it all in his eternal counsel. Because he knows the end from the beginning and the things that are yet to come to pass. Because he's declared it and said, my counsel shall stand. All of it. You can have no, there is no ability to even comprehend the number of the different effects from God's first choice to create. We can't even, comp- we can't even imagine the math able to figure out all the interacting of all the matter and irrational creatures and rational creatures, angels and men that God has used for the praise of the glory of His grace and to display His wrath and His power in men. Luke twenty-two, twenty-two, Verse 21. Let's get the context of Jesus speaking at the Last Supper about Judas Iscariot. But behold, the hand of Him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. It was determined that the Lord Jesus Christ would be betrayed by one of His close friends. Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 describe Judas Iscariot. It was determined that this event would happen. And truly, The Son of Man goeth, as it was determined, by the betrayal of a friend. He that hath eaten bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Do you understand that? God's purpose was accomplished perfectly through Judas Iscariot, but woe to that man that was the willing partner in it. Oh yeah. He calculated and conspired with the Jews for 30 pieces of silver for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what Jesus said in a couple of other places? It had been better for that man if he had not been born. 
So, if a piece of paper had been handed out to that man, knowing his full future, would you like to be born? He would have checked the box that said, no. But the God in heaven checked a box that said, yes. It had been better for that man that he had not been born. The God that we are dealing with is the most glorious, majestic, sovereign being with dominion, authority, and power that you have ever, you can't even imagine. It had been better for that man that he had not been born. But he was born. And the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Let us humble ourselves before him. Let us sing a song or two, and then I want to tell you how much that great God has exercised himself on the behalf of us, part of a race that was condemned to eternity in hell. We deserve everything the wicked. We deserve everything Judas ever has received or will receive. But God's been merciful to us in his sovereign choice to make us vessels of mercy.